Romans chapter 10, verse 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have not heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. And by a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So every now and again, some Sundays I, I teach and it just first service, I just kind of replicate it. Everything goes well. This is one of those Sundays where I cover the first message and it's like, man, this is just a brutal text. This is hard. I blew it. I need to like do a quick, quick revamping and try to figure out if I can get it in a clearer way. Not that anybody complains. It's just in my heart. I'm sharing with you my struggle. I have a couple things that always press upon me when I preach. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I'm not, uh, I, I don't want to use this time to have any, you know, thing about the Catholic Church other than I left the Catholic Church out of boredom. Like, and then when I, when I was an adult and was forced to make a decision between two churches and boot camp, I, I really left the, the Catholic Church because the Protestant Church wasn't boring. And then as I started having the Bible taught to me, I was like, man, there's some like great stories in here. This is not a boring book. Uh, why was I so bored? And so one of my goals in teaching is never to be boring. However, my constraint also is it's not about me being a comedian or me teaching and telling funny stories. The, the, the aim is to teach the Bible. And so I don't just topically come up with stuff. I believe that we're to, to, to learn the Bible as it's laid out. And so we take a book of it at a time and it forces me to, to speak on things that I normally wouldn't speak on. And times that I speak on stuff that I would love to choose to speak on this. Romans chapter 8 was an easy one. That's like, we could just do Romans 8 over and over and over again. And we would learn every single week. This is one of those passages that all week it's like, oh man, this is a rough one. And Saturday night I always know I'm in trouble if I'm tossing and turning in bed going, Where's, what's the application here? Oh, so what? How does this matter? Do, maybe I should just fly through this and skip ahead, but I can't really do that because we have to understand this. And so I hope that as I can do better during this service than I did during the previous service, not that anybody complained other than me to myself. And so I want to ease into this passage a little bit um, differently. Uh, we, these few verses are found within three chapters of Romans that are very special. Some have said it's almost the climax of Romans. Uh, there was an issue in Rome that the, the Jews and the Gentiles were in one church. There were tensions due to circumstances, namely that it started out a Jewish church. There were Jewish people who were believers in Christ. They were flourishing. Eventually, uh, Claudius got sick of the Jews arguing amongst each other 
and the believing Jews reaching out to the non-believing Jews created friction. So all of the Jews were expelled from Rome for a number of years. During that time of expulsion, the Gentile believers began to flourish. And a thought began to creep up into the church that God was done with Israel. Every promise that he'd made to Israel had, had, had now been given to the church. Uh, the, to be a Jew, to be Israeli, that was, that was a thing of the past. God had replaced Israel with this thing we know as a church. Well, then Claudius was poisoned and Nero came to power. And as Nero came to power, the Jews were allowed back into Rome. Now the Jews are a minority in this church and there were tensions. There were issues dealing with how do we get along with one another? How do we handle things like meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Can we eat it or not? What do we do about the Jewish religious holidays? How do we celebrate them? And so Paul going into this section is is explaining how God has been working with Israel. Up to this point, through these two chapters, 9 and 10, you'd almost think that, that Paul's making the case that God has replaced Israel with the church. But in chapter 11, we realize that's not the case at all. There's difficulty in this, these, this section. There are things that are hard to understand. And I'm not going to be foolish enough to try to, to smooth out all the rough edges and say, this is how it is, guys. I got it all figured out. Just trust me. We're, we are human. We fail sometimes to understand God's bigger picture. And so as we've navigated through this, it started in chapter 9. After Paul's great crescendo of Romans 1 through 8, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. It's beautiful, the very end of chapter 8. But as he says this, I believe in his heart as a Jewish man, the issue of, well, what about all the promises that were made to Israel? These great covenants that were made. If God has done away with them and he's torn up the contract and he's replaced it with somebody else, how do we know that he won't do the same? If he did it with Israel, which I'm not saying that he has, for us to cling to the promise for nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, well, God's character ultimately is in question if God has basically given up on Israel or changed what he said he would fulfill with Israel. And so Paul enters into this dialogue. The first five verses, he explains of chapter 9, his great heart for Israel, his fellow Israelites. He goes as far as to say that if it was possible for me to give up my salvation and for me to be cast in hell so that my fellow Israelites would come to saving faith in Christ, I would do it. And then he says that, that through Israel, these great things that have come about, the promises, the covenants, the scriptures, the Messiah came through their lineage. May God bless them forever. He says, amen, at the end of it. But then he begins to explain that, that as we see Israel, it's not necessarily how God sees Israel, that within Israel, there was always a small remnant of people. The small remnant of people within Israel were the ones that followed God by faith. They got what God explained. And that's the Israel that God sees. And he begins showing God's sovereignty, that God is outside of creation. He can do whatever he wants. And he shows how he chose certain people, not because of what they did or didn't do. 
I don't think it's dealing with salvation, but he, he chose certain people, namely Israel, to be his tool, his vessels for certain things. He, he goes all the way through nine, kind of explain, listen, God is the potter. We're just the clay. He could do whatever he wants. And we hold to this the reality of who is God. Well, we know he's loving. He, we know he's kind. We, we know he knows best. And so his sovereignty and his control is not a scary thing. It's not something we should resist. It's something that we should find comfort in. And there are times in my life when I've gone through great difficulties, that losing of friends that have died, losing of a child during miscarriage. It was during those times that I was able to find rest and peace in the sovereignty of God, knowing that these things were outside of God's control. And I had to trust that he had a greater plan, even though I couldn't see it or understand it. And as he leaves chapter 9 into chapter 10, which we've kind of broken up for a number of reasons, I want to zoom out before we get to today's text so that we can understand today's text greater. As he gets to chapter 10, verse 1, he again uh, comes out to us with a, a great passion, great transparency, like he did in chapter 9, the very first few verses. And he says, my brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that's Israelites, is for their salvation. He wants them to come to know the the Savior, their Messiah. He says, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. That their zeal is for God. They love God. They want God. But the problem is, is that their zeal isn't grounded in truth. It's not grounded in what the scriptures had revealed for them to live out their faith. For he says, for they have a zeal about God. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For knowing about, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So he said, God has revealed his righteousness. The Old Testament and the New Testament, there's not a great division. They are succinct. They fit together. And from Genesis, we see the same picture of God all the way through. It's always been by faith. It's always been that God is righteous and we are sinful by nature and by practice. But they chose to try to establish their own righteousness in rejecting what God has told them for how they're to live their lives. Paul then goes by chapters or verses five through about 10. He quotes from Moses as Moses is getting old and he's he's he knows he's not passing into the promised land. And he speaks to Israel and he says, God has given you everything that you need to know to walk with him. He he says uh, what Paul quotes in Romans 2, 4, that true circumcision is of the heart, not as of the flesh. And Moses tells them, walk by faith. You don't need to you don't need to go up to heaven to get more revelation from God. You don't need to go across the lake or Hades death. To find more information, God has given you everything that you need to know to walk with him. He says, quoting from uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And then Paul plays from those two words in verses 9 and 10. Speaking to Israel, they have everything they need to know about the Messiah. They have everything they need to know that Jesus came and was the promised Messiah, that he gave his life for him. 
they being stubborn still need a savior. And God is not going to circumvent his plan. He goes on to say that they need to believe and confess for salvation. And from here, verses, well, I like verse 11. I'm always going to stop there. And he says, if they come to believe in Christ for salvation, they won't be disappointed. The scripture makes it clear that if you come to Jesus, you won't be disappointed. It doesn't say that your life will be easy. It doesn't say all your problems will go away. But the truth is when we come to know the Messiah and we establish our relationship with the Father in heaven who is sovereign over all, then it doesn't matter what you're going through because you have stability in him, not your circumstances. And he won't disappoint you. He says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. It's a level playing field at the foot of the cross where everybody needs to go. And he goes where we last week from verses 13 through 15. He asks a series of rhetorical questions, basically making the case that, listen, every person to get to heaven needs Jesus. If they're in the middle of the jungle somewhere and, and they've never heard the gospel, they need Jesus to get to heaven. Paul paints this picture very, very clearly. This is what compels us to missions. And last week we talked about the, the, the thing that rubs me wrong in thinking about this is that doesn't seem fair. But if you follow human history, at one point every human had a connection with God. And there was a breakdown from one generation to the next generation. We saw, we looked at from general revelation, uh, things like uh, Psalm 19, which Paul's going to quote from today. He says that creation proclaims the glory of God. To, to be out in the valley center or on the mountains at night, to look up to the stars and to see the, the majesty and the beauty and the magnitude of that, to see the ocean, to look at whatever it is, that creation testifies towards the Savior. And while the general revelation isn't enough to save us, it is enough to condemn us. And Paul in Romans 1.20 says, for they are without excuse. And what you won't find in scripture, but I believe in my heart from studying the scriptures, from seeing God's character and his nature, is that if a person with general revelation responds to God, then God will get the gospel to them however he sees fit. Nobody is going to hell because they don't deserve it. God wants people to come to faith in Christ way more than we do. He's going out of his way to reach each and every person. In fact, Acts 17 tells us that each and every person was born in the time and the physical or geographical location that they exist because that's there's the sweet spot that they might come to reach out for God and he's not far from any one of us. And last week's section ended very beautifully in 15. I mean, it's like encouraging almost. It says, just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, I don't know if Paul, as he's writing down Isaiah, this the beauty of those who go out and to share the wonders of God. Like, it's just all, you know, marshmallows and roses. And it's, it's just wonderful. Paul's body is beaten, bruised, all of... The apostles had been, most of them, except for John, had been killed for their faith. 
Paul had killed one of the early church members, Stephen, in Acts chapter 8. He's not naive to think it's like, oh, this is just great news. Go out, share. Everybody's going to believe. Look what he says. Transitioning from there, he says, however, they did not all heed the good news or the gospel. I really like the, the NIV translates this. They insert the word Israelites to make it clear that this section, what Paul's talking about is Israel. Now, now you could apply it to everybody because there's a lot of truth in this. He says, as we go out, we recognize that the majority of Israel, the majority of the Israelites, the majority of people, very few respond, submit to the truth of the gospel. They haven't heeded it. They haven't responded to the gospel. That What is the gospel? First Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses. He says, this is the gospel I preached to you, that Christ died according to the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, that it was prophesied, that he died according to the scriptures as a payment for your sin, what, to pay for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. He said, that's the gospel. What Jesus did to bridge the gap so that you could find security and safety from the wrath of God that's due our sin. And that you would be able to enter into a relationship through faith. But he says, this is great news, but they're not responding. He says, just as it is written. So he quotes, I'm sorry, for Isaiah says, quoting from Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our report? Now, if you'll turn with me back to Isaiah 53. And this is where Paul's quoting from. And it's fascinating to me that this is the chapter that he's quoting from. As he says, they they haven't all heeded the word. They haven't received the gospel with great news. And listen to what Isaiah says. He says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. If we continue this passage, this is the great chapter of Isaiah on the suffering servant. It's read often on Good Friday, Easter time. And Paul quotes from it. And the picture of Isaiah, he's like, Lord, I'm your messenger. I'm proclaiming. Am I failing? Am I doing something wrong? It's weird, ministry. You, we put so much confidence in our own flesh and our own ability, which is there's nothing in our own ability or confidence. What the class I, I despised the most in Bible college or seminary, I forget which one I was in. I really liked this teacher. So I was, Dr. Black was his name. Crazy, funny guy. He'd had a stroke. And after his stroke, like he forgot more than I ever knew. And he knew way more than I ever could possibly know. He spoke multiple languages. Um, He was a genius. And he was a total evangelist. Like he'd, he'd show up late for class and we're like, why are you late? He's like, Oh, I drive a taxi, not a taxi, I drive a limo on the side. We're like, why do you drive a limo on the side? Is money that bad? He's like, no, 
I want to evangelize people. And if I drive a limo, I have a trapped audience with very wealthy people and I get out of my Christian bubble. So I had to go drop a guy off at the, at the, you know, at the airport. And so I was running a few minutes late. I'm like, oh, you're a weirdo. But I'm like, I can't wait for this class on evangelism. It's going to be great. We had all these books. I love these books. And I, I was all excited for the first day of class. First day of class, I get out. I open all my books up. And I'm like, this is going to be fun. Hearing about all his evangelism stories. He's like, all right, guys, this is going to be good. This is, I'm Dr. Black. He kind of explains some stuff. And he's like, pack up your stuff. What do you mean pack up your stuff? He's like, just pack it up. Take it to your car. We'll be back. I'm like, where are we going? Lunch break? We're going out to, I'm thinking we're going to lunch here. He's like, no, we're going down to Parkway Plaza. Parkway Plaza? We're going to drink some coffee and hang out down there? That's great. He's like, no, we're going to go evangelize at the mall. And my heart just sank. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I don't, like, I can sit here and teach the Bible all day long. But then sharing my faith, that's something that's not my, that's just, I mean, we're all called to it. It's not my, and some of us just love it. And so I'm like, where? And so now I'm going into fight or flight mode. <laughs> trying to make excuses. I paid a lot of money for this class and I, I want classroom time. I want to talk about evangelism. He's like, you know, we'll never learn anything unless we do it. We'll come back last 30 minutes. We'll, we'll discuss. I'm like, do you realize it's Christmas time? Nobody at the mall wants to talk about Jesus during Christmas time. <laughs> and so then we go down there. And he's like, okay, guys, just, just, just go out, do whatever you want to do. There's, you, you just go individually. You don't need to go in pairs. Just do your thing. I'm like, I just got to do my thing. My thing is to, to, to find a way out of this. I mean, I literally thought about leaving. Just like, so I get to the mall. And so what do I do? I just walk laps. I must have done, I had two and a half hours to witness to one person. I walk laps, I walk laps, I walk laps. And then as I would, like by the third lap, coming to the food court, there's Dr. Black. And his tie, I mean, he looked like a limo driver because he'd just come from driving a limo. His, he's, and he's kind of like an overweight guy. His shirt's like untucked and he's, he's just going out. He's got probably 20 kids, crazy high school kids, like, you know, with piercings and stuff that I, I give the evil eye to. And he's like, ah, like touching their hair and sharing the gospel. I'm like, I can't believe this. I am a failure. I need to do something. So I keep walking laps. I'm running out of time. I'm like, I can't go back and see. I didn't talk to anybody. My competitive spirit took over. <laughs> so then there was a lady in this little, like, you know, the cart, not even like its own store. And she had like stuffed animals. She was an older woman. She looked very sweet. She had a grandma disposition about her. And I'm like, this is my target. She's going to be nice to me. And so I walk up and I'm looking at dolls. And she's like, oh, so you're looking at dolls. And I'm like, she's going to buy a doll. I'm like, no. I'm like, it's really crazy. Like, I'm in seminary. And we're in this class. And I'm supposed to talk to somebody about Jesus. And I was hoping that she was a Christian. Because, like, my plan was I wanted to witness to a Christian. So she'd be all, like, all cool with me. And I'm like, so I'm supposed to go around and talk to people about Jesus. And it's like, she's like, you're doing what? I'm like, yeah, I'm in this class. And she's like, I'm calling security. Uh, what's it? Uh, what, tele, not telemarketing, but whatever it is. Soliciting. It was not, I'm like, I'm not soliciting anything. I'm not. And she's like, I'm calling security. And I hear on the radio, security, we have solicitors in the mall. And I take off running. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just like, what's going on? 
how does this all fit, you're asking? So back to Romans. He ends with how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. However, they did not heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And if you go back to Isaiah 53, you see the, the, the discouragement. And, and the reason, like those of you that are in my camp that are not really a big fan of evangelism, is because of the response. It is, if you asked me to go down to the mall and I had 100 free t-shirts that were like O'Neill surfing t-shirts, and all I had to do was toss them out and have a good time with people, I would do that in a heartbeat. People go crazy over free t-shirts. It's fun. I like people. But then you say, hey, we're going to go down to Petco Park before the baseball game. There's a church that's been going down there for every game. They have their big yellow signs and they tell people about Jesus. Uh, Oh, man, I get nervous when I walk past them. And why is that? Because of the rejection that comes. The good news. And he says, who has believed our report? It's, It's not surprising that they've rejected it. The Messiah didn't come as they thought or believed that he should come with no stately form. He wasn't a good-looking guy. Skinny, I don't know. They were expecting a king that would get him out from under Rome. And we're told that this is the Messiah, the king of the universe, the one that holds all things together. And that salvation comes through faith. It's so simple. Can't be true. And I think with this, recognizing that the Great Commission and going out, it comes with a cost. It's not easy. It comes with discouragement. And I believe totally, I joke, it's not my gift. Like I, I kind of, the thing is, over the years, I've had to learn it's not about me. I don't have to, to, to do evangelism in a way that I'm not made. I, I, I serve how God's made me and I share how God's made me and recognize it's a part of something bigger. That, that every person I'm talking with, that I'm just one piece in God's puzzle. And we need to encourage one another. It, 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 can, be a, it can be a little bit frustrating. It can be discouraging. And so when we come to church, you know, we, we come to church and we ask, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And I always catch myself, especially if I'm having a rough week. Somebody says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Oh, no, no, come back here. I'm actually doing pretty miserable. Can I tell you about it? Because I can eat some prayer. I'm like, this is all, let me just dump the boat on you. This isn't the place to put on our show. This is our place to come together to encourage. And as we do this here, the the whole idea of a missions trip, it's not like, hey, a big thing where we're going to go do a whole bunch of evangelism. I'm not convinced that that works. I think that going on a missions trip and seeing the other parts of the world, it transforms how you see God's working around the world. Specifically with the missionaries we're partnered with, to send a group of two, three, four people to a location with the only intent of spending time with them to encourage them. We can get discouraged here. Imagine being somewhere where there's you have no other avenues of encouragement 
Okay, I'll get back on track here. I think going is good. Who has believed our report? And then Paul, in verse 17, says, So faith comes from hearing. So, so faith is our placing trust in something. And in, in, and in the story here, or the context here, the issue is the good news, the gospel, that Jesus came According to the scriptures, he, may, he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose and he ascended into heaven as the scriptures said. That's the gospel. And so faith is when we hear that, as Ephesians 1.13 says, that after hearing the gospel, you believed. So you have to hear it. You have to know the gospel in order to respond to it. So there's something about the gospel, that as it goes out, it sort of exposes our condition before God. The first thing that the gospel does, is says, you're a sinner. And who likes hearing that? We like comparing ourselves to other people. Because when I compare myself to other people, I'm doing pretty good. There are a couple people that are, I mean, there's a lot of people. But there's a whole lot. It's easy to, when you're gauging against humans, it's, oh, it's very easy to make yourself feel okay before God. But the first thing that the gospel does is says, I have bad news for you. Not only do you sin, but you're born of sin. You are totally separate from God and his wrath is due you. What was your name? <laughs> yeah, that, nobody likes to hear that. But in order to hear the good news, you need to know the bad news. That was the first three chapters of Romans. Because the good news is, well, God loves you deeply. He's known about you before you were created. He sent his son to make the payment for your sin. He was your substitute. He did all of this so that you might enter into a relationship with him. And suddenly by hearing this, it gives the opportunity to surface. And so faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. There's a quote. I don't like the quote. And I'm not even sure after yesterday's study. I don't even know if it's an accurate quote. But it's what's his name? Francis Agisi, somebody. A CC, that's what it is. I'm like, yeah, I knew I was cool. But he says, hey, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Terrible. This is not biblical. It's one thing to live out our lives. Yes, we're supposed to live out our lives. We're supposed to have a good witness. We're supposed to be holy because he is holy. We're supposed to reflect God and how we interact with people. But the, but the gospel is spoken. It is written. It's how God chose to do it. It says hearing. Unless we use words, the gospel hasn't been proclaimed. The president of Wheaton recently said this. It is simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal in behavior. We need to use words. And Paul made this big case. We need to share verbally the gospel. Now our lives are important it's not just what we say it is how we live but but he says that as we proclaim it as we share the gospel it it creates this opportunity for faith to surface but paul's going to bring up a couple uh, uh, he's going to anticipate two criticisms that would come from fellow jews and so he's just going to ask these questions these objections the first comes in verse 18. He says, but I say, surely they've never heard, have they? So the first objection is, well, certainly the Jews have never heard about Jesus. How can they be held accountable if they've never heard? And he says, indeed, they have. 
Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. He quotes from Psalm 19, pointing to general revelation. He's not going to let the, his Jewish brethren off the hook. He, he says, creation cries out. The, Isra- the Israeli people are the one who God spoke to, who entrusted the, the covenants, the oracles, the scriptures to. Of all people, they should be able to know exactly who the Messiah is. They shouldn't be the ones resisting. Then his second objection is, uh, he says, I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Well, uh, maybe they've heard, but they didn't understand. He says, yes, they have the scriptures. They have all of this stuff. Listen to what Moses says. Now, we talked from Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he says, you have everything you need to walk with God. You go a couple chapters later in Deuteronomy chapter 30, there's another speech that comes by Moses, and he's a little more agitated in this one. He says, you guys have turned to false gods. You're not walking with the Lord. You're not following the instructions you've given. And he says in verse 19, first Moses says, I will make you jealous. I I like this. I think it's funny. I think it's from this. Moses tells them, God's going to make you jealous. If we turn the page and we go over to Romans chapter 11, I, he's beginning his transition that, that God's not done with Israel. He even looks at his own ministry. And in Romans 11 verse 13, he says, Paul says, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the, of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Going back here. So, so this idea of jealousy, it's beautiful. God, God says in, in, in Deuteronomy that because you've rejected me, you haven't walked with me. I'm going to reach out to the people that they don't even have a nation. They're Gentiles. They're, they're non-Jewish. They have no promises. But look what he says, I will, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. Jealousy moves to anger. So here's Israel. They think that they're special. God selected us. We're better than everybody else. And God says, I'm going to make you terribly jealous because I'm going to reach out to those nations around you. They're going to come to know me. They're going to have a relationship with me. And you're going to see it and you're going to be jealous because they have something that you don't have. You who are supposed to have this great covenantal relationship with me, you're going to see it in them. And this jealousy is going to turn to anger. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to parlay this into my benefit. I'm a Jew of Jews of the tribe of Benjamin. We all know his pedigree. And he says, I'm called to the Gentiles. And how awesome is that for my ministry? If I'm so reaching Gentiles for Christ and lives are being transformed and my brothers who are Israelites see what's happening, that they get so angry that finally they submit and they trust in Christ. He's like, that's a win-win situation. They move from death to life. My ministry is already pretty sweet that I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. No other apostle can say that. This is Paul's gig. I mean, maybe John. But he says, if, if I'm reaching the Gentiles, but then Jews also believe, how wonderful is that? And it goes back to his heart in Romans 9, 1 through 5, that he would give his own salvation if his brothers would come to faith. 
And so we see Moses. Moses foretells of this. No surprise. God is not going to change his plan for a stubborn, spoiled child of Israel. They need to come to the Savior. It's true today. It's true then. And then he goes in verse 19 and he says, excuse me, in verse 20. He says, and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, I'm going to stop there. So he quotes from Isaiah 65. If you'll turn with me back to Isaiah 65, I should have told you to hold your spots, but I forgot. Sorry about that. It's good for you to find books of the Bible. That's how you learn your Bible. So in Isaiah 65, this is the section that Paul quotes from. In Romans 10, verses 20 and 21, he pulls from this section. And in Isaiah 65, Isaiah writes this, speaking on behalf of God. He's writing as if God is speaking. And so this is what the Lord says. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those that didn't seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation which did not call on my name. So here here he begins saying that those outside of Israel, he's going to start bringing them in. He's going to respond to them. In my own life, I was not seeking after God. I, I, I used to hate it at a church I'd go to. The pastor almost on a regular basis would say, how many of you should be dead right now for your own foolish mistakes? Like, why does he have to keep asking that? Thankfully, he doesn't make us raise our hands because I'd be like, I should be dead multiple times for stupid things I've done. I had no intention of following God. I wasn't seeking after him. I had no desire for him. And not only that, I turned my back on him. I wanted nothing to do with him. Yet he was so kind and so gracious that even though I wasn't seeking after, even though I wasn't seeking after him, he allowed me to find him. And I look at my life today and all I can do is thank God for how kind and gracious he's been to me. As he unpacks this, he's turning the focus in Isaiah 65 verse 2. He says, I've spread my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts of people who continually provoke me to my face. He's speaking to Israel. Offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bush bricks. Who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places. They're so religious on the outside. Then there's a section that's just kind of funny to me. Who eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots. Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will even repay into their bosom, both their own iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together, says the Lord. Because they have burned incense on the mountains and scorned me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. This is like not good. 
This is Israel rejecting God, refusing to submit to his way, acting righteous. This passage, we can go back to Romans chapter 10. I'm not going there yet, but I'll pick up there and I don't want to lose you guys. This section concerns me as a pastor, as a dad. I wasn't raised in the church. Then when I came to Christ in 96 and I started walking with him, I'm super thankful for this relationship that I have with God. My wife comes from another background. She was a missionary kid, grew up, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised. No, I'm just, you know, sorry, she's going to kill me afterwards. (laughs) But she came from a very religious background and she loves the Lord passionately. When we we talk, she's like, I'm thankful for my background. Uh, You were saved out of stuff. I was saved from stuff. But then I look at a lot of her peers growing up. There are so many kids that grow up in the church that want nothing to do with God. that They've rejected him outright. And it concerns me as a dad with my own kids who are being raised up as pastor's kids who already could smoke me in Bible trivia. I'm not joking. Like I can barely remember names of people. They know names of people. They just spit out stuff. I see the kids in our church. They know the Bible. They can tell all sorts of stuff. But there's a fear that they become inoculated, that that they get off track. They start caring about education or pet peeves and music or translation. It's about Jesus. Back in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, as he says, as he talks about they have a zeal for God, they they knew God's righteousness, but they seek to establish their own. He said, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's all that matters. And we need to teach our kids the truth of the gospel, that it would take root in their heart. Because kids are leaving the church in large part. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It has everything to do with the church. That we've created a religion and we need to guard ourselves from that. Because it's about relationship with Christ. You don't have to go into the world and go have your rock star story till your life goes in the gutter and then you come back to Jesus. We should be launching our kids that they love Jesus. And of course, every person has their choice. So it concerns me. I see this passage. I see what Isaiah writes in that section. I see church people. Man, and I'll take transparency and honesty any day of the week over religious sort of where we have everything together on the outside. I love doing ride-alongs. And a few months ago, there was a ride-along that kind of was one of them that just sort of shook me. We responded to a call for something. It was me and an officer that, that was a believer. He is a believer. There was another officer who was not a believer. In the movie theater in Escondido, there's that Starbucks in that little courtyard. And there was a lady who was a, a, a transient person. We went and talked to her. She's really funny. Transient people can be hilarious. We're having a great time, like, interacting. And I, I didn't even think they were going to arrest her. But then they eventually had to take her into custody. And I don't know why. I don't even know why. They, may, they just had to talk to her. I don't know the details. But the non-believing officer took her, and she went away. And then I'm in the car with the other officer, and all of a sudden, like a text message comes up on his computer screen. 
And I said, do you guys set me up? Do you guys send a believer my way or something? Because she's just back here saying Romans 7, 14. And I have no idea what that is. And so then I'm like, so I'm kind of laughing. I pull out my phone. I'm like, I don't know what Romans 7, 14 is. So of course, like we're all doing, we're going to Romans 7, 14. And I read my phone to the officer. I said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I'm a flesh sold into bondage of sin. And the officer just pulled his car over and was like, wow, that's profound. I wonder if we're judging people the wrong way. We get on our religious high horse and we think we have everything figured out and we're better than everybody else. I don't know that God likes that. And here's this woman who I've judged. I'm like, oh, she's just an alcoholic or it's crazy or so. I don't know. I don't know what her story was. And then she starts spitting out Romans 7, 14, and she might have a whole lot more understanding than I ever gave her credit for. Or maybe I'm just making this all up in my head. I don't know. I don't know her. That was, I had that little window. I don't know. But profound, the understanding that she quoted. Like, how did she quote that verse? Maybe she was just an angel and just like the humbling me and this other believing officer. I don't, maybe, but I doubt, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're, we're going into dangerous territory. <laughs> but here Israel thought they had it all figured out. And we need to be cautious thinking that we have everything all figured out. Because when you think that you have God all figured out and you know exactly what he's doing, I think nine times out of 10, we miss what he's doing. And in verse 21, I love where I want to end. Is I love the picture of God because God is God and I am not. And it's okay to shout amen there. Because when I read about Israel, how God responds is not how I'd respond. And it's convicting. As a pastor, as a parent, as a husband. It says, but as for Israel, he says, skip to the very end. He describes Israel, a disobedient and obstinate people. If you have children that you would describe in this way with these two words, disobedient and obstinate, how do you think you would treat them? On the street, kid, my Navy SEAL side, you know, I don't know that I'll actually do that. I'm just talking from the flesh, just in case the kids are out there, you know. Grace, I love you. She's, I don't know. The, but our idea, when, when disobedient, this is the worst kind of child to deal with. Our patients get worn thin. Burst of anger, th- saying things that we shouldn't say. But how does God respond? How does he deal with us when we rebel against him, we kick against him, and we reject him and refuse to submit to his plan? But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands. This is beautiful. This is, I love you. Just come. There's great debate over this. Is he, is he talking about being open-handed like the prodigal son just come back or is he talking about provision and my answer is yes all of the above that god's kindness and graciousness and love for us is overwhelming and so this passage the first thing that how does this apply because the application the whole every time i preach all i'm asking the whole way through him i say so what 
So what? Not always with a good attitude. What does it matter? This is Gunner as a little kid. Like, why, why are we here? Well, the first so what is, is we learn about God. And I guarantee you that God is working in your life through whatever circumstance that you're going through. Whether you've come to know him as Savior or not, he is working on you that you might know him more intimately. And he doesn't want you to fight him. He wants you to trust him because he knows what's best for you. He's not trying to take away your fun. He's trying to let you experience life to the fullest. We're called to share the gospel. We're called to make disciples. It's difficult. We're called to it. God has, in his sovereignty, I don't know why he, why would he say, the church is going to come and I'm leaving it up to them to basically share the good news. It's like, Lord, can you do skywriting or something? It'd be a lot easier. Isn't there a way you can, I don't, I can't answer this question. All I know is that he's called us to share what we've received. And as you share, don't lose heart. Sure, people are going to reject you. Some people, some people are going to reject you very loudly and violently. And it's not that you're reject, they're rejecting you, they're rejecting the message. And they may not even be rejecting the message. They may just be like fighting out. You know, there's a saying that if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that you hit. And so the one that responds back, God's probably, you don't have to get in an argument with them. God's probably doing something under the surface that they're like just really resisting. So encourage one another in this. And so, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are God and we are not. And Father, we thank you that you gave us a way that we might find reconciliation with you. Lord, we thank you that Christ came, that he gave his life so that we might live. And Father, I want to pray for those in this room, in this building, those that we, our lives intersect with, Lord, that might not even be here. We pray, Lord, that you would um, help people to see who Jesus is, that they would have clarity of the gospel, that they would come to salvation. Father, we thank you that you're so kind and patient with us. We thank you, Lord, um, that as we have been a rebellious, disobedient, obstinate people, individuals, I know I have, Lord, we thank you that you keep your arms open, that you continue to pursue us, that your loving kindness just endures. And so, Father, we pray for those of us who know you as Savior, Lord. Lord, help us not to forget what we were saved either out of or from. Lord, increase our heart and our passion for you. We pray that you would give us your eyes, give us your heart, Lord. Help us to be a kind and loving people as you were to us. We pray for Israel, for those that have missed their Messiah. Lord, I pray a special blessing on the ministries and believers who are in Israel today, uh, really investing in trying to reach Israelites. Pray for the Jewish people in our, our community and our nation, Lord. And we, we pray, Lord, that they would come to know their Messiah. And it's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen.